This is the Epilog audio experience. I was thinking about happiness. Sorry. Did someone say ice cream? We're talking weird combinations today. Crazy flavors, flavors that went wrong. Hard times in a business and shutting shop. Peaks in a business and being able to ask for premium prices. Crisis, survival, management lessons from a manufacturing company, being crazy and loads and loads of ice cream on this episode of Voice of Achievers today. My name is Yashika and each week we dive deep into the weird and wacky stories of innovators and creators to understand their intrinsic motivations, their disappointments, their crazy career experiences to help you navigate your career paths. Today, we sit down with Mr. Kunal Pabrice, partner at KN Co, the organization behind the legendary ice cream brand Tulikas and most recently Pabrice, an ice cream parlor spread across 22 cities in India and known for its natural flavors. Raised in Kolkata, Kunal secured a degree in business management and worked in the risk assessments and fraud investigations divisions at Ernst & Young before joining his family business and being the ice cream man that he is. He's talking to us today about sudden changes in career plans, managing a family business, starting from scratch and scaling up, second generation entrepreneurship and loads of ice cream. Welcome to the show, Kunal. Thank you so much, Yashika. It's great to be here. I want to begin by asking you, what's the weirdest combination of ice cream you've ever tried? Maybe failed also. So, weirdest flavor I ever had is uh, something my father created called Mulakti ice cream. So, Mulakti is this, this Indian spice which uh, you usually pop into your mouth and, and keep if you have a cough. Okay, it's this is pretty relevant. It is relevant, but the problem is that those people who like it really like it, and a majority of people don't like it. Uh, personally, I did not like it at all. But yeah, I think you know now that you you've shared this, maybe I should ask him whether we need to bring this flavor back. Yeah, you know what? If, what if this was the post-COVID Muleti ice cream, the antidote in the form so of an ice cream? <laughs> yeah, so we also have a ginger with honey, which is which is very good. We we usually sell that during the winter periods, hmm. um, and it's 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 uh, packed full of uh, ingredients that help the body fight against the common flu. It could possibly help people uh, during this time as well. So there is a myth since we started with this entire conversation. During- I was just going to ask you, what's with the myth of you know you having ice cream and catching a cold? What would you yes. say to that? So there is a section of people that believe that if you have an ice cream, you'll get a cold. It's not true. You Having an ice cream does not give you a cold. A cold is caused by a virus. Hmm. So no ice cream and no food item is going to cause it. At worst, what may happen is if you're having something cold, your, your body is exposed to having, like contracting the virus. Let's just put it that way people who are actually out there if you believe that having an ice cream has a one percent chance or more of giving you a cold or a virus all you need to do 
is just drink a cup of either room temperature water or warm water and you'll be fine in any case after uh, usually when you have ice cream people tend to feel a little thirsty so they naturally gravitate towards water a lot of people might not realize they're doing this but it happens and that's usually because ice cream contains fat and these are full fat products and whenever you have a fat the body then craves water thereafter uh, i want to take you back in time you joined your father as a second generation entrepreneur talk to me about the the pros the cons the challenges about being a second generation entrepreneur so i'm going to break this question into two parts the first is actually transitioning from a job into a business i i found that to be very significant See when you're working for someone else when you're employed you know you finished college you worked for a couple of years with an employer usually a multinational company or a corporation as an employee you're used to receiving instructions on what to do next you've joined a company you'll have a, a, a person you're reporting to a, a manager of sorts they will be telling you that okay your target is to do this this is what you need to do finish and then you finish it and you go back to him and then they give you more work and it proceeds that way when you shift from that mindset into an entrepreneur mindset it is a shift because i remember the first first year when i when we were starting off and i was just getting my my bearing at that point of time i remember sitting at desk and talking to my father and he's like okay so what are you doing so i said i don't know what do you want me to do so I, he's like I, you're the owner right and he he gave me that confidence he said look you're you're an owner of the company now so you have to figure out everything and uh, that that really put me it, it took me some time to get into that headspace uh, because it doesn't come naturally when you're making that shift it is a different headspace right. and uh, we just need to recognize that and i think anyone who's transitioning even from a job to becoming a solopreneur you know themselves one of the big things that you have to realize is that there's no one you're reporting to but yourself how do you deal with so, uh, reporting to yourself how do you set guidelines how do you set benchmarks ironically every single person has it within them to report to themselves by just managing their own lives uh, i read somewhere you know the phrase being the ceo of your own life so if you can run your own life properly you can run a business it's not that different it's holding yourself accountable to whatever you want to do to do that every single day it's boring it's ridiculous but you have to see the you have to have the vision for yourself ironically it's not very different in the business as well uh, you have a vision for the business and you have to just keep doing the small small works that take you from where you are to where you want to go again i know for a fact that this transition didn't come as easily to you there was a period and there was a time in your life where you were juggling with both would you like to talk about yes. that sure so before i joined my father's business i was working with ey in bangalore at that point of time the the ice cream industry in eastern india was going through a horrible time there was a price war people were resorting to second hand accounting just to stay afloat margins were wafer thin practically non existent there were labor union issues the entire business profile and the entire ice cream industry was very very difficult so i was sitting in bangalore and i requested for a transfer to calcutta yeah. and what i would do is i I, I spoke to my manager at EY and I told him that okay up till 6 p.m. I'll be with you. Oh 6 p.m. I'm going to be working with my father. 6 p.m. I will be leaving. If you want me to do any extra work, I shall come earlier and do it. And and so I would leave at 6 p.m. and from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. I would be with my father in the office getting a sense of the business. Right. And it was during that time that we really 
were able to take a step back and jointly see uh, where the business currently was and where it needed to go. One of the things which I think helped tremendously was something we did in college, which is just a simple SWOT analysis. And it is pretty powerful if, if you if you actually try to periodically take out a sheet of paper and figure out what are the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats of your business. Okay. And you see where you're currently positioned and you you're, you then understand whether you're playing to your strengths or playing to your weaknesses. What are the opportunities in the market and what are the threats which are currently there? And that gives you a sense of whether or not the ship is being steered properly. So what we realized is we were playing to our weaknesses, not our strengths. And our strength was our technical skills. And it was during this period where instead of fighting for the same space with 11, 12 other ice cream manufacturers in Eastern India, hmm. all of whom were trying to undercut each other in terms of margins, in terms of product, in terms of giving greater discounts or greater credit period. Uh, instead of fighting for that same red ocean, branch out and do something completely different, which is not explored and find your own blue ocean. So blue ocean strategies are, is a book that impacted me a, a, a fair bit during uh, and I recommend it wholeheartedly. So what we did is we decided to go from being a mass market ice cream brand to focusing on a niche sector, making 100% natural ice creams, using our strength, which is our technical skills, to make a product the likes of which most people may not have experienced. How long was this period? How how long was this transition period of you being? Just slightly less than a year. Because what happened was around the same time, the trade union in our factory uh, was creating greater issues. And there was an incident in the factory with these trade union workers where they uh, tied up uh, one of the, the managers. And it, was a, it was a really big, big mess. And it was at that point in time when my father said, look, I'm I'm doing this for a reason. And these are this is not why I'm doing this. So we actually overnight had to shut the entire business down. Right. It was leading up to it, but I think the greatest contribution I made to the family business after joining was helping my father shut a loss-making company because the company had been running as a loss-making entity for about five years because of the entire dynamics of the industry. What was the time that you felt that this is the time that I have understood the nuances and this is the time that... I should just switch and completely be on board. Sometimes you just have to burn your boats. You know, sometimes fate just puts you puts things together and says, okay, this is what you can do. While I was assisting my father, it was clear that we could not continue. The, the entire structure was just not working. Hmm. And with the trade union issue, we said, okay, let's, let's, first, let's first stop the bleeding. If, you, if you're going down the wrong path, you can't keep walking. Right? Yeah. and expect to reach the correct path. You have to stop and then change track. So what we essentially did was say, okay, but let's stop. And that stop involved closing the entire business. There was a period of two, three months where, which was very challenging from a family front because everything was uncertain. Just like COVID is uncertain right yeah. now, that uncertainty was there at that point of time where we didn't know what was going to happen next. How do you deal with a crisis? Like, how do you, because uh, you have closely seen one, I would like to talk about crisis management. How do you deal with it okay. real time in a business? The, one of the, the best ways to deal with a crisis is actually to, to go back to basics. And fundamentally, as a business, there are, there are several several factors, right? One is the way you view the world and the way you view that opportunity. 
So when a crisis occurs, it is either, oh my God, the world is ending. I don't, I can't manage this. I don't know what to do. Uh, another way to look at it is actually to read and listen to people who know what is happening. While people think it's going to be a three month thing, there is a possibility it's going to be much longer. While there is a first wave, there is a probability of a second wave. How did I know that? Go back to history. You know, you, when you had the Spanish flu, this, the flu came back twice as strong in the fall season. And then the second wave came from October to December. When you, when you start understanding exactly where, what is in front of you, then you can start planning appropriately. Then you say, okay, what is the worst case scenario? What is, uh, how much of runway do I have assuming I have zero sales? Based on whatever savings I have, how long can this survive? So you do an analysis just with the number. You put in your own figures and and you see, uh, the moment you take something complicated and you break it down into into the more fundamental things, everything is can be broken down to sort of first principles the way Elon Musk talks about, right? So if you're, at the end of the day, if you're looking at expenses, what are your expenses? You know, your rent bills, if you have any, your staff salary and electricity, these are your three main uh, expenses for any retail store that you have, including manufacturing for most things. So you, and a lot of these things are fixed. The variable costs are variable in nature. So like that, you can make a projection and see exactly how, how much your runway is. And uh, you start trimming. You okay. have to make hard calls. You may have to uh, let go of stuff. Uh, you may have to rework the inf- incentive structure. What's what's a hard call that you've made? We, in our, in our retail stores, we had to... So what we did is we didn't retrench, but we, we benched. Uh, we gave leave without pay to about 75% of our uh, retail workforce. We shut down stores which we knew are just not going to be profitable. And then you, you have to just make cold, hard impassioned decisions right it does make sense data by one of the things i believe that really helped us was uh, the way we've structured our business so a lot of people have taken leverage we have not taken any leverage i believe sincerely that those uh, fnb outlets which uh, have taken any kind of loans or uh, have taken debt in some way shape or form or have taken money from investors and have sort of ex- overextended themselves all of them are 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 struggling I know that you have this theory about credits and uh, debts. Would you like to share your experiences from the past at Pabrais, at Tulikas? Sure. So one of the things that we saw and learned during Tulikas time, so Tulikas was, it is a role model for uh, most businesses, even though it's within the ice cream sector. You're giving 60 days credit, 30 to 60 days credit in the market to various people, right? So we have what some of them are taking more of it. You're giving people discount and everything is being is following the herd. So if one person is giving it, the thought process is that everyone needs to give right. it. Right. Otherwise you're going to be left out. And if you study marketing and if you study exactly what happened during that period, you can't even blame people for taking that stance because it was the way business was done. What are the pitfalls of that? When things go south, they really go south. So when we had to shut down all of a sudden, word spread in the market, and instantly all the people whom we were supposed to get money from said, uh, we don't have the money now, get back to us in seven days, one week, 
never. And all the people to whom we owed money obviously panicked and said, you know, it's almost like a, a bank run where right? it's like, give me the money right now. Yeah. And this is what happens. Right. It very realistically happens in any business which is struggling. And it is very difficult and it's very hard on owners which are doing it. And this is happening as we talk, which is, uh, which is very difficult. So we saw this in 2008 with Tudikas when we shut down and, and we learned the lesson. So one of the things we did with, when we started this new business is that uh, we started off with no discounts and no credit, which is completely against what the norm was. Right. And the only reason we were able to get away with that is because we were giving a product which was which you can't get anywhere else. Right. Right. Yeah. So as long as you are offering either a product or a service or a price point, because these are three pillars uh, which are there of, of, of business. As long as you're giving any two of them really, really well, so hmm. you're giving a great product at a great price or a great product with a great service, you know, whichever combination you choose. As long as you're giving two of them, you're in a unique position to command something. Right. And and if you can, if you're in that position, you don't need to let industry dictate terms. You can dictate your own terms. But if you if you if you can overcome that initial struggle, how do you? Then you set up <sighs> by knowing by knowing your worth. If you know that you are genuinely adding value to the other person, economics is all about value. Right? Business is all about value. Ultimately, I'm giving something to you which has a value, and you're paying me something in commission value. If you're going to be, if if we're giving a product which is going to positively expand user experience at that person's restaurant or hotel, and create a wow factor for them, they will pay you for it. But the thing is, getting through that initial hurdle. So that you can be. So one of the things which we try to tell even our franchisees is when it comes to marketing, you can use every tool in your toolbox to get customers, except offering discounts, because that is a lazy man's way of marketing. So they say, sir, what do you mean? Right? Uh, I mean, no buy one get one, no buy two get one, no fifteen percent off on special days, no discounts whatsoever. And the moment you share this with anyone who's a, who's a marketer, they, they get very confused. Because the natural reaction is that, oh, if you don't give discount, customers won't come. And that's a fallacy. Uh, now that you've brought in the franchise model, and I know that uh, Pabrise runs on, a fr- on the franchise model, talk to me about the advantages and the disadvantages of having a franchise model. So, given what I've already shared, uh, as a family, we were running a loss-making entity for about four to five years, uh, and then we had to shut it down. Fun fact, when you shut down a business which has been in existence for 25 years, one of the things most businessmen do not account for is gratuity. Okay. Statutory due, which you have to pay workers who've been with you for a long time, and it can be a significant amount. Okay. Uh, so. So when we closed down, and we had to pay off all the workers, and we did pay off all our workers, but we were left, you know, bare to the bone. We were financially in a very tight spot, which just meant that we had to work more creatively and more harder to set things up. Okay. I believe that uh, having experience really, really helped during this period. So having my father with, you know, 25 years experience in the line right. uh, was invaluable. And as youngsters, I am convinced that we do not take advantage of that as much as we should. What are the advantages? 
So, uh, and the key advantage is we were able to start a business in a, a, a new ice cream business with a seed capital of just three lakh. In the first six months, we had a turnover of sixteen lakhs. In the second year, we had a turnover of sixty-four lakhs. That means in the first official year, we had a turnover of sixty-four lakhs. Okay. And it just kept growing from that. So uh, that huge jumped head start came because of the experience that was there with us. Okay. So whenever you're starting a project, what happens with experience is a person who's got the experience can point out potential pitfalls a mile ahead. Things which you haven't even considered could be a problem. So it's a difference between a novice captain of a ship and a and a captain who's sailed the seas for the past thirty years. What if you do not have family? What if someone's a first gen entrepreneur? Nobody else has seen this. How, what do you do? Do you get a get a mentor? Get a get a mentor. Yeah, get a mentor. I believe that most people would be in a position to help in some way, shape, or form. Particularly if they don't view you as competition. You could always speak to someone. You could speak to someone from a different industry to give you a different set of uh, ideas, knowledge. Okay. You could generally catch up with. So one of the things which has happened in the F and B uh, industry in Eastern India, uh, in Calcutta specifically, which I found to be truly, truly remarkable, what uh, the industry has done is that we've created sort of a, a group in WhatsApp, and there were several people who were part of the formation of this group, and now it's under. The, the umbrella of uh, NRDI, National Restaurant Association of India. You have a group of owners in the F&B space, right? So you have to be an owner to be part of this group, right? So it's no managers, anyone or, or any, anyone of that nature. And um, whenever anyone is stuck with anything, they can simply ask in the group, and you got five people helping. Okay, do they? So Considering there are co- there is competition there. So a lot of times, what happens is it might not be on. How to like? What is the strategy to use? But usually, small, small things that people get stuck on, or small things which are happening. So someone suddenly has a problem with one particular equipment in their kitchen, right? And they don't know whom to speak to because the person they they spoke to is not responding. Okay. So they will say, "Hey, listen, I've got this particular machine. Does anyone know anyone who can service it?" And you have five people who like who respond and say, "Hey, why didn't you speak to this 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 person?" Okay. Instant feedback from a group of peers, and everyone, even though they're fighting for the same space, they are unique enough to be comfortable helping each other. Amazing. You had one person who said, "Oh, this particular person stole my money and ran away. If you, if he comes to you to employ him, watch out." <laughs> and they should circulate and for poor fellow must not have been employed anywhere, you know. And yeah. uh, so it's it's uh, remarkable how how this works, and it's very powerful. And this has just happened in the last. The power years. of community is what you're what we are coming to. In uh, as a support system, yes, and separately, you could look at a mentor as well. If you have anyone with experience, it will help. I think we were talking about the franchise business. Tell me about the pros and cons of having a franchise business. So the the pro of having of taking the franchise route is that it's less capital intensive. For every parlor or uh, unit that you open. You don't have to put in that much capital. You can potentially make it a net positive event in the sense that, because the franchisee is putting in all the money to set it up, you could even make you could even collect a little bit extra in terms of the franchise fee which you're charging uh, right. to license your business to them. 
the first franchise that we had we didn't charge any franchise fee it was free of cost okay and then as the systems got better and better we kept raising the franchise fee how do you figure out the franchise cost in the first place since uh, for anyone who's starting out for the first time a trial and error that you figure it out i i think the best way to figure it out is um, and, and the way you would price the franchise fee license is the probability of success what all have you as a business owner done to reduce the prob- probability of failure and increase the probability of success for the franchise a, a way to look at it is that franchising is very different from whatever product or service you offer so while we are in the ice cream business and we are giving them ice creams which we are manufacturing they have to sell the franchise itself is a completely separate thing in the sense that you are giving a system you're giving systems controls knowledge and a way to do business and you're charging a license fee for that and the reason why that person is taking it up is because they feel that you have the experience knowledge to guide them in a way and a entire business setup uh, which is going to help them succeed in a way in which they would not have otherwise been able to do so for themselves you're also adding on to your turnover because whether you're taking royalties or you're supplying the product it's going to increase the turnover for your company the negative in taking franchising is that you are putting your brand out there entrusting your brand experience to someone else uh that is really the most difficult part of franchise because most people will not follow the systems and processes you laid out so you have to knowing that you have to look at your systems and processes and ask yourself what all you need to do to make sure that you're constantly monitoring them that you're constantly advising and guiding them and you're constantly making sure that they are running it the way they're supposed to run it. in a, in in a just that is really what franchising is all how do you make sure that they're running it the way you want it to you need to have very strong systems controls and regular audits given the franchise business and the fact that it's very easily replicable how do you then ensure that you keep your product and your or your service safe that is really the first question you need to ask yourself because not all businesses are franchisable right so for us particularly we are the ones who are supplying the product so if the fra- so that the franchisee can't go anywhere else right he could go to a a, a com- com- competing brand but they don't have the same products that we have and it's not at the same level in any uh, if it's if you're if you're offering a service related business how you set up the software module in the back end is what makes a difference so other people could copy a whole bunch of things but they can't copy the way you do it and usually what happens is people think yeah yeah you know we can try and get this information from them and collate it and start something of of our own not realizing that it's not of that much about copying it's it's more about an evolving the evolving nature of business the company that keeps focusing on improving whatever they're offering is the company that's going to succeed okay because that is what business is all about indians love copying copying is in our dna <laughs> if he can do it i can do it at at 1 rupee less which is why i asked how do you deal with it given you have so many franchises you know strangely and this i find this always blows my mind in a country which 
is obsessed with copying trend we still have the entire business marketplace which is running with inefficiency that entire industry is ripe for someone else to come and do things like you will be surprised you, all you have to do is figure out what the pain points are for the customer and figure out a better way to do it Talk to us about the processes because how do you as a business, Tulika's was running and it ran for a while and uh, you started with Pubrice all over again and then made Pubrice into a franchise business. Clearly there were processes that you had to set up from scratch. How do you set up yes. SOPs and processes from scratch to ensure that they are followed to the T? It's a. You have to go back into the uh, principle of of uh, the Japanese principle of kaizen. So you're basically you you don't attain perfection on day one. You okay. just constantly keep working on achieving perfection. It's a state of wanting to reach perfection, which is important. So you, let's say you go to a particular place and you got a two thousand rupee note and you want to order a coffee and you go to the counter and it's some cafe and you say, okay, I want one cappuccino. And uh, you give them a two thousand rupee note, and the 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 person behind the counter says, "Ma'am, I'm sorry, we don't have change. You need to get change." We end up ends up happening, and it's remarkable how often this happens. Is the customer then walks away and either doesn't buy the product, and even if they buy the product after getting change from wherever, they're so irritated with the, and it's probably ruined the next couple of hours, if not the full day. Okay, so let's take that same scenario, and you go to one place, and you you ask for a particular item, which is what's hundred and five rupees, right? And you give them a two thousand rupee note uh, without asking you for five, even five rupees change. Hands you back eighteen ninety five, and says, "Ma'am, this is your change." That experience is is so dramatically different. From the first experience, yeah. that it creates such a positive vibe for you, yeah. that you will you will just keep coming to that restaurant, sure, because you know that 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 cafe has your back as far as this the basics are concerned, yeah. So all of this is free, all of this is this very little effort to do this, but does it take effort? Yes, it does, because that means ensuring that there's sufficient change at the counter. That means ensuring that the staff are trained to handle customer complaints in a particular way. Talk to us about uh, sustenance and survival. We are currently in a period where a lot many businesses are in a space where they are trying to struggle with this sustenance and survival. And you have experienced this firsthand. Talk to us about the slow beginnings and still being motivated to to survive. What does it take? I I think initially you need to be more conservative. So. You could be, you couldn't be. We were very conservative when we started. So, when I mean conservative, means we didn't have. We tried to limit the amount of fixed expenses we had. We tried to go for more revenue share agreements. So we say, okay, we'll part with a certain percentage of revenue. That way, even with low sales, uh, you know, the financial impact is not that much. Okay. Right. So uh, we 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 started off very very slow, and then and just kept working on building volume. Okay. So when you're starting a new new company, the thing that you have to focus on is building volume. And as we're going through this crisis, and businesses are going to struggle, um, I, I believe it's those businesses that do survive. Yes, will need to have a strong financial structure within their company, but they will also end up going back to some of the basics. And well, at the end of the day, it's really about going back to the 
to the fundamentals and trying to build volumes and reducing your costs and uh, streamlining your operations, uh, improving your cash flows, all the basic things. Along with that, one major challenge because you've met, you've, you've brought it up about this COVID crisis is going to be partnership with your landlords. Okay. So the way you engage with landlords and the way the landlords engage with you is going to dictate how things will function. Earlier, where there were ten people fighting for two spots, yeah. vacant spots, yeah. now there are two people and ten vacant spots. Yeah. So the game that the game is completely changed, and they have taken EMIs and loans from from banks. Yeah. Which they have to pay, otherwise they're going to go belly up, and the bank is going to start seizing their property. Yeah. So in the city, if you're a if you're a businessman, you need to speak to your landlord. You need to negotiate with them. You need to talk to them. And because uh, this is a family business, talk to us about dealing with relationships in a family business. Where does work end and family life begin? How do you draw the lines? If you're staying together, no. Staying together, <laughs> then possibly. So before marriage, we were all staying in the same house. And there was no demarcation, so there was business at any. You could be sitting for dinner and you're talking business. Right? Yeah. Uh, it would be eleven o'clock at night, and suddenly you guys decide to have a conference, and it would happen like impromptu. Family businesses are tough. Yeah. I am not going to sugarcoat it. It is self-evident that there are uh, now actual courses which help people uh, better navigate this. So. Yeah. Uh, and it is challenging. So two takeaways that you'd had to give the two pros and the two I won't say cons, but so I, I think uh, the pros of a family business is that you trust everyone. So there's a certain amount of trust which is there, which is a which is a huge positive, and and support which is there because everyone has got each other's backs when right. when, when right. the chips are down. Uh, having said that. Uh, in terms of negatives or places where they can be, it, it's it's an emotional roller coaster, right? So, couple of the the the, the things which which I found interesting through various discussions, and, and the one is the concept of a family business uh, council, right? So, you guys form your own family council, and you all regularly have meetings and hash out whatever issues are there. And I'm not talking about business issues; I'm talking about management issues or within the family member dynamic or any issues which, which are there and jointly create a vision of what you all want to do not do uh, if how you want to allocate funds so on and so forth another major uh, interesting way of looking at things which i've come across which frankly we haven't absorbed within our family as yet uh, but which i find interesting and we may do so in the future is a concept of separating ownership and management so it's okay for someone to be an owner and have say a twenty percent stake in the business and not be part of the daily management of the business, not having that much of buy-in in the overall management. So they've separated the two, which I found to be very very interesting. So one other thing which I will recommend, you could possibly explore something called NLP, neurolinguistic programming. Okay. I found it to be very insightful. Okay. Um, it helps in communication. in listening to the other person in understanding your own structures and the way you think and the way you talk um and also helps understand other aspects tell me then are you pricing the uh, are you pricing the product or are you pricing the experience so they sort of intertwined in our in 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 my in my thinking because okay for you to price an experience 
you have to factor in the ingredients that make the product okay so for example if you have if you have a product which is take mango i love mango as an example so we have two types of mango ice cream we have an alfanzo mango ice cream and we have a himsalva mango ice cream and our alfanzo mango ice cream is more expensive than our himsalva mango ice cream because alfanzo mangoes are more expensive than himsalva mangoes fair enough so you've you've got a product you factor the experience in and you've priced it based on the input costs which are there okay so instead of saying that hey we can't charge more than 70 rupees a scoop to a customer huh your your conversation suddenly becomes that okay what is the input cost and what is the best experience i can give the major shifts in perspective that we had when we transitioned from a mass market product to a niche market product very good at that tell me about one thing that you learned as a professional in a corporate environment and that you were able to uh, apply as an entrepreneur um i don't know how successful i've been in implementing it in ey office and looking around me and there must be just a large office so the 3 o'clock in the afternoon and i'm looking left i'm looking right and there are 150 people who are who, who laser focused on their computers you know doing their work and i remember asking myself that it's amazing that everyone is focused ernst and young has created whatever incentive structure to have a group of employees that don't have to be micromanaged and who are just performing amazing yeah with sure human capital to the best that they can do and i remember feeling that you know systems can be very very powerful way way back and i've tried to incorporate that into our company everything is planned one year in advance okay. and your employees will do whatever you whatever they can to not follow it <laughs> so you just have to <laughs> you have to get 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 on their butt once in a while just to make sure that they are and uh, they value that because i think that is one of the key things your biggest takeaway in in the in the entrepreneurial space i think my biggest takeaway is that as an entrepreneur you need to spend time with yourself and uh invest energy in your own productivity okay because you are the bottleneck of your own business you are the reason and your capabilities and the way you function is going to determine how the entire business uh, will move forward if you are laser focused and organized and productive you'll grow that much faster faster so if you view yourself as the the bottleneck of your own business then and, and you organize yourself to minimize that bottleneck as much as possible and to make it as wide as possible you will you will get much more done and your business will grow that much faster tell me one fun ice cream story for our listeners um so this story happened in um, in europe hmm we had i'd gone with my wife for a holiday and um we visited uh, this one particular shop uh, and my pronunciation is going to be all wrong the french would kill me for those who know french also i apologize in advance it's uh, la maison de truffle du truffle so basically this truffle shop right and by truffle we don't mean chocolate truffle uh, by truffle we mean the fungus 
which is grown on the ground which okay. is black in color yeah uh, which people a sense of which people may have tasted through truffle oil so i i we went there and i got very excited with it and i said okay you know can we take some to calcutta and try and make an ice cream out uh, the thing is that truffle is uh, has got a very low shelf life so okay. from the moment it's plucked it can it can last for about 3 4 days uh, before it expires so we took it with us to calcutta and then put it in into an ice cream and made a black truffle ice cream and and uh, and it, it, you know one of the industrialists in calcutta was actually, actually bought one of the gallons he paid uh, uh, for, for for private function they paid a substantial amount it was one of the most expensive ice cream you ever sold do experiences like this uh, motivate you to keep innovating just like this and just weirdly and crazily like this as an entrepreneur or would you rather take a calculated uh, risk is what i'm trying to figure out here no 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 you should you should you should be crazy i mean you definitely should be crazy uh, i'm trying to figure out and we're trying to work out internally how we can be more crazy than we have been in the past amazing what does achievement mean to you if i were to rephrase that as uh, what does success mean to me it would be enjoying the journey like figuring out how to enjoy the journey treat success and difficult times the same level okay being neutral there's the elements of stoicism in that but uh, yeah you start viewing things you start viewing things much more differently and you get to enjoy enjoy it amazing thanks for being on the show thanks for the the fun and the crazy ice cream stories and the stories of entrepreneurship as well so thank you so much it's it's been absolute uh, great so, thanks yeah, it's been great i'm very glad we were able to do this thanks for tuning in feel free to share your thoughts and feedback in the comment section do rate us on apple podcasts if you like the episode subscribe or hit follow voice of achievers on apple podcasts google podcasts hub hopper spotify geo savan gana or wherever you get your podcasts from send us an email on editor at voiceofachievers.com or find us on voiceofachievers.com to share guest suggestions or topics that you'd like us to cover don't forget to tune in next week again voice of achievers on epilog media